Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am here with my dear friend, Megan Accardo. Megan is a business coach, and I brought her on the podcast today because I really, really, really want her to share her story and her journey to motherhood. I have a lot of you who have reached out and messaged me and shared stories of your own struggles, be it around infertility or just your path being unique to motherhood. And Megan certainly has a lot to share in this department, and she is a really kind soul, and I'm just so excited to have her on here. So Megan, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Albiona. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so Megan and I met through the coaching space. I love her, and she gives me really sound advice all the time. (laughs) And so we could talk about coaching a ton, but today I'm going to pivot, and we're going to talk about being a mom. So congratulations. This is the first time you and I are seeing each other since being a mom to baby Kylie. Yeah, yeah. She's five months old. And I think we were chatting right before. Yes. I think I was telling you the opportunity that had come up. So yeah, this is a good catch up (laughs) with all that's happened. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm trying to think about like, if we could start like at the beginning, Mm -hmm. so that people really get the true arc and story of like the ups and downs that you went through and how ultimately baby Kylie came to be. Yeah. So it starts, I mean, our nine year wedding anniversary is coming up in March. So in two weeks. So it really starts then nine years ago when my husband and I, we thought we would just get pregnant immediately. We wanted kids immediately. We both had waited a little bit longer to get married. So we were like, let's just have a honeymoon baby and all these things. And we had moved to the Midwest. So we were in California, but then we moved to the Midwest and I was thinking, oh, we'll just have a bunch of babies like everyone does in the Midwest and have this like beautiful family and it wasn't happening for us. So we really were struggling and we decided to seek out some infertility treatments. And at the time we were in Kansas City, which is a lovely city, but I was like, I wanna do fertility treatments in California. And so there was a whole slew of things that happened. We started our treatments in Kansas, but then I started to come out to California for treatments. And really, we actually ended up moving to California in the middle of that. So we ended up finding a doctor in California and we were doing rounds of IVF. Nothing was working. It was getting very discouraging. I went on like this health journey to clear all the toxins from my life. Like talk about typical California. Like when you think of Los Angeles, it's like (laughs) gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, anti-yeast diet. Mm -hmm. I was going to acupuncture twice a week. I was taking 40 supplements a day. I mean, it was getting really, really crazy. Chinese herbs, like drinking these terrible Chinese herbs. If anyone's ever had the Chinese herbs, they know what I'm talking about. But just like everything, because when you don't know 
what the problem is, you feel so powerless and so out of control. And you're just like grasping at these attempts for solutions. I'm sure some people listening can relate to this where it's like, I just don't know, like no doctor can diagnose this. And I ended up having every single genetic test, blood test, hormone test, every single test that you can ever have. And they never found anything like there was never like a solution. Don't you think that makes it harder to some extent? Like we are such a culture that's conditioned to like, there has to be an answer to every kind of dilemma or problem. And when you don't have that, you're really telling so many people's story because I hear that all the time. Like, okay, I'm going to totally change my diet or, you know, there's a lot of literature around and maybe it's, I'm sure it's effective for some people, but I think we can fall into that space of self-blame, right? Particularly as a woman. And it's hard to toe that line between wanting to do everything you can to conceive, but also not falling into this toxic space of like self-blame and and really being hard on yourself. Did you find like once the doctors weren't able to really pinpoint why and you're doing all these great things, did you vacillate between those spaces of like kind of blame and then a little bit of self-blame or were you feeling frustrated or were you just really eager like, no, I'm going to do everything I can and I'm all in? For sure, blame. I just was like, what is the thing? Like, maybe it's because I had macaroni and cheese, you know, like it's like you've reached for anything and it makes you crazy. It really is like a crazy making thing. And even today I meet people. I just had a conversation the other day and she was like, you know, I drink caffeine and maybe it's because I eat vinegar and I probably shouldn't eat eggs, like all these weird things, of course, LA, you know, but you know, like that's how crazy we become. And I think I had to get to a place where it had to be total surrender of it's not one thing I'm doing. It's not one thing I'm not doing. It's not because I eat gluten. It's not because I don't do acupuncture. It just either is or it isn't. And lots of people get pregnant who don't do all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you just have to let go. And even with the IVF process, it's really interesting because science is a little bit, I was going to say crazy again, but it is kind of wacky how they can create these babies in essentially test tubes, right? Like they create the embryos and they freeze them and they can genetic test them for diseases and then they can know the genders, right? Like it's bordering on a, you know, like what, whatever your beliefs are, but it, it is insane. But then you go in to get this embryo transferred during this IVF cycle, they can't actually attach it to the uterine lining. So it's like you have to leave a little bit of space for that divine moment to happen where it's like you can have everything prepped and ready. We did mock cycles. We did biopsies and all these things where it's like, okay, technically this should work, but then it either does or it doesn't. And there is a piece where you just have to let go of that control. So we ended up doing a bunch of different things. We ended up at one point where it was clear I wasn't going to get any eggs out of me, we ended up hiring an egg donor, which was a very trippy process. Um, we ended up doing three transfers of embryos into me. I got pregnant with all three and lost all three. So that was very traumatic. Mm. And that was all within about eight months. I was just like back to back trying to get pregnant and stay pregnant. And then we said, okay. We had one embryo left from one of our cycles. And so we hired a surrogate and she didn't get pregnant. <laughs> so like that whole thing went down the tubes. 
And then finally, we decided to get on this list for adoption, an adoption agency. And I was really, I was excited about it, mm. mostly because I didn't have to do any hormone shots. I didn't have to go through any more losses personally, because after you go through three in a row and, I, you know, I had done four rounds of IVF with all the shots, I was like, I think I'm tapped out. Like everyone has their own limit <laughs> to how much they can try. Yeah. And it could be financial constraints. But it also is so emotional. It's just such a crazy, you know. Oh my it's gosh. I mean, even you describing it, like my heart hurts, you know, because I know so many people who are either in your shoes or have experienced very similar, you know, circumstances. And it is so gut-wrenching because you just assign or you attach yourself to a certain outcome, right? And you're like, okay, this time it will take or this time it will happen. And so the fact that you kept going. And I think there's such grace and fairness and you kind of going like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm not going to anymore. And I do know of other parents who did do that. They just kind of said, you know, it, it's okay. And they had to make peace with that. And I think there is a lot of freedom in that. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the idea of surrendering to that process, I think is key because like you said, you look at how nuanced that science is and how specific and how how far it's come and it still doesn't matter. There's still an element that's beyond what any of us can understand. That's beyond what we can totally control. So yeah, some of it just has to kind of get surrendered. So I, I feel like that probably carried you. Do you think there was a huge part of that, like that faith and that belief that you were going to be okay? Or did you just really kind of take it step by step? Yeah, part of it was really protecting myself from even the desire of becoming a mom. So that might sound a little weird, but basically I had to say like, if I never become a mom, then I have to be okay with that. So there wasn't this like insatiable need. I have to become a mother. But at the same time, I knew that there's many different paths to become a mom. And I know people also dealing with secondary infertility where they already have a child. So it's not their path to become a mom, but they really want their child to have a sibling. And kind of that same thing goes where you have to focus on the good things in your life and stay grateful in that. So it is a practice. But I remember when I got the call after the three miscarriages, my doctor was like, look, there's a 1% chance that you would actually get pregnant three times in a row and miscarry. Like this is not typical. And I'm going to make a call to say to you that you probably can't carry a child. Mm -hmm. And when I got that call, I took out a little notepad and I just wrote down all the benefits of never carrying a child. So not not becoming a mom, but just, okay, if we move to adoption or surrogacy, then what are all the good things? And look, you know, like people, <laughs> like we were talking right before, like people could look at me and say, oh, that's so sad. She can never carry a child. But, you know, I had that list of benefits and I read it and it was like, okay, like my stomach will never get stretched out, right? Like all the things, like I'll be able to yeah. eat sushi for nine months. I don't have to give up drinking. You have to focus on the little things that you're grateful for when you can't control something. So I do that practice with anything that kind of comes up of like, okay, what are the good things? Even though, of course, I wish I could have carried my own child, but you have to pivot and focus in that gratitude. I love that so much. And it's such a good practice. You're absolutely, I was just going to say that to you, like that's applicable for so many things. Like the minute it isn't going the way we want, like what's the good part right now that maybe we're missing because we're so zeroed in on one thing happening or one outcome happening. 
I love that you were able to do that. Like, bravo to you because that's such a hard pill to swallow to some extent and that you had the wherewithal to go, no, there is something that I'm missing here. There is gratitude to be expressed. There is some goodness that's going to come out of this. I just think that's amazing. And I I applaud you. I think that's so wonderful. And I think you're going to help a lot of listeners today who might be in the same boat, kind of be able to switch gears and do the same thing. And I think, you know, it's a long journey. You just told us it's been nine years and that's not something that's quick and easy. It's that you really needed to build some skills that were going to sustain you through it. So then let's kind of move to the next part. So now your doctor's kind of saying, you know what, it's not looking like this is going to happen in terms of you carrying the child. Now you start to exercise some ideas around like, where else could I go and what could be next? Yeah. So we actually decided to pursue both surrogacy and adoption at the same time, which to a lot of people that did sound a little much, but I'm glad we did because one worked out and one didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, we were kind of at the end. We're like, okay, these are our two options. So let's just go down this concurrent path. And even if they had both worked out, we would have been thrilled. I mean, we were devastated, obviously, when the surrogacy didn't take. And that um, was a little boy that we would have had. And then we would have had Kylie and they would have been 10 months apart. And so we were really like thrilled and we were excited, but I mean, thrilled at that possibility. And then obviously devastated when it didn't work out. So both of those are really intense paths and it isn't something you can just handle overnight, but we took time with both of those decisions. We interviewed a lot of different agencies on both sides. We got education. My best friend actually runs a surrogacy agency, so that was kind of a no-brainer choice. But I actually interviewed other surrogacy agencies just to feel like I did my due diligence. But of course, we went with her. And yeah, so the adoption is such a process because you basically get on a list and you just wait, wait, wait. And every month we would get an email that basically said, you were presented to seven birth moms. None of them have made a decision yet. So it was just month to month. I was like, this is never going to (laughs) work. Like we just are getting these reports and they're driving me nuts because it's, there's nothing, there's no movement. Nobody's picking any, anyone. And I think part of the process is, you know, it is a hard process. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a business, but at the end of the day, there's more people who want to adopt than there are babies to adopt. So you can't rush the process. Sure. But ultimately we got matched um, with a birth mom in Colorado after 10 months of being active with this agency. And she thought she was going to labor. So after waiting for so long, after thinking, oh, this is never going to work, Then we had to make very quick decisions. So then you kind of just go into overdrive of like, okay, she's in labor. She ended up not being in labor and she had the baby about nine days later. So we did have like a little bit of a breather of like, okay, this is happening. And we were able to get to know her and have phone conversations with her. And and then we had to fly out to Colorado for the birth from LA to Colorado. So then you get the call that you think she's in labor. You think it's a match. And essentially, like just to put it in perspective, like most people plan when that birth happens and you and Chris were like, we could be parents tomorrow and we don't, you know, and you don't have a nursery and you don't have a bottle in your house. You don't have a car seat ready. You don't. Right. Because you're kind of having to operate under what the instructions are, which is basically like, don't really get completely ready. Let's wait until some things are in motion. So what did that feel like? Was that so 
exciting, but also scary? For sure. It, yeah, you're absolutely right. They tell you the adoption people and the social worker, because you're working very closely with them, like don't actually prep anything because you don't want to sit there for 10 months or God forbid longer with just an empty nursery that reminds you every day that you're childless. So you don't have a lot, but luckily babies don't need that much little babies, right? You can buy everything you need at Walmart. So they had essentially said, you know, when you get matched, go meet the birth parents at the hospital, go meet the baby and then go to Walmart and get a a bassinet, get diapers, get a car seat, get formula and get bottles. (laughs) So we brought nothing with us. (laughs) But what a trippy feeling. Yeah, it was Again, it goes back to a little bit of the surrender of the outcome, detaching from that outcome and really knowing that this might be it, it might not be. And I'll be honest, it was a little hard, like we didn't attach right away to baby Kylie because we didn't know. And in our particular case, our birth mom had 10 days post birth to change her mind. Mm. which is a little bit extreme. Like in California, it's not that long of a window because <laughs> that is a really long window. But our attorney had basically advised us, like, you just go in and say, you know what? I'm going to take care of this baby. My whole role in life might just be to take care of this baby for 10 days or less. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love on this child for as long as this child is in my life. So we just had to take every single day at a time. And we had a really good relationship with the birth parents, to their credit. Like, they were so brave and just courageous to, A, make this decision in the first place. It's a hard decision. And then they would come and visit us Mm. during those 10 days. And I'm like, that is heart-wrenching. Like, they wanted as much time to show that they, like, loved this child so much that, you know, they just weren't the best parents in that moment to any baby that would have been born in that moment, but like they wanted her to know. We took pictures together. We took a lot of pictures of them holding Kylie. So it really was a special time, even though it was like, I don't know what is going on because I don't know what the outcome's gonna be. I don't know if we're gonna bring home this baby. Yeah, oh my gosh, I mean, that could make me cry because there is so much grace and like beauty and the idea that even for the birth parents to know like, this isn't maybe the right time, or we're not going to really be able to provide maybe the best home, whatever the circumstance is. But that doesn't mean they don't love her. You know what I mean? And I think that you had that and that you've documented that for Kylie so that when those questions arise later, that she knows she was so loved that they just, you know, had to bring in more love and the right home to love her even more. And I just think that there's so such beauty in that. And it's so heartfelt. So, and to you guys, my gosh, like what a beautiful way to frame that. Like for 10 days, this is our job and maybe it will just be these 10 days and that's, we have to be, make peace with that. But for these 10 days, it's going to be like all or nothing. We we're going to love on her and do what we can. And so I think there's a lot of bravery in that too, to be honest with you. So, I mean, that is the, the perils of love, right? Like you, you can love and you can lose, right? That's sort of how it goes. So now you're on day 10. And so how do you find out that Kylie's yours? So they could change their mind at any point with no questions asked in those 10 days. And then we knew on, it was a Monday, we knew on Monday morning that then it would be finalized. So we, I was just like waiting by my phone and then we heard no word. So no word is a good word, right? Like they decided not to 
get their rights back. And so then, you know, the paperwork was filed and that part was completed. We still had to wait for Colorado to release us from the state. So two things had to happen. They released their rights and then we had to get approval to travel. So then we had to still wait four days to be able to leave the state with Kylie. So then we just were kind of hunkered down waiting. (laughs) We're like, okay. She's dying to take her home, right? (laughs) Yeah, because it was chaotic. We were in five different Airbnbs. Like we were there for two weeks, I think. Yeah, the 10 days and the four. So yeah, I had three bottles. She was feeding nine times a day. So I was frantically washing bottles. We were in different Airbnbs. You know, we were Amazon shipping diapers. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I had like some clothes. I had these like big onesies, like zero to three size onesies. And she was very small when she was born. She was six pounds. So like she was just had these onesies that like didn't fit her. But I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) She's warm. It's fine. She's clothed. But, you know, it was chaotic. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. So then you get to come home with her. And this is I love this so much. So just to give the listeners a little bit of um, info, I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but your neighbor has also adopted children who you've grown to be close friends with. Like, can you please describe the neighborhood reception when you came home with Kylie? Like, I'm going to pick up and move to your neighborhood after this, but just tell everybody about how great that was when you came home. (laughs) Yeah. So we actually live on a street in Los Angeles, which this is so rare where I know almost every single one of our neighbors. It's not a short street. It's a long street, but like there's literally a directory that goes around (laughs) of everyone's names, phone numbers, pets, children, Oh my goodness! a picture of the front of their house. I'm not even joking. (laughs) So like, Our neighbors are amazing. And so there is one generation of kids that are all around, I want to say like eight to 12. And my next door neighbors, you're correct, adopted. It is, it's two gay guys though. And so they adopted three children and they've helped us so much through the process. And they're, they were just like the voice of reason. Cause we'd be like, oh, like we would get tripped up in the steps. I mean, as anyone would, we'd be like, ah, they want like, you know, six references and they have to write six pages, you know, all the things. And they'd be like, just get it done. Just get it done. Just move on. Right. Just move through the steps so you can actually yeah, go through the process and, and be at the end. So they were the voice of reason for us. And there's a whole chain with all the parents on our street, like a text chain. And we got added to the text chain as soon as we picked Kylie up. So they all greeted us with balloons and food and cupcakes and all oh. the things. And li- literally like just on our porch and just came into our house. And I remember our neighbors saying that that's so important for adopted families because so so often that's not the case. But it is when you have a baby, you get, yes, you know, people mm-hmm. like put a little sign in your yard. So they just wanted that experience to be the case for us. And even little things, I remember when we were first considering adoption, I was like, do you have a baby shower when you adopt? Because you can't do it before. But like little things like that, like I was like, oh, I don't want to get robbed of a baby shower. And literally um, a couple weeks ago, my friends all through, we called it a sip and see. And there were about 20 of my girlfriends and they all showered Kylie with love. She was five months at the time. So she had a little tutu. She had a little dress on. And we took tons of pictures with baby Kylie. And so we got to have that like shower experience. I love that. You know, it's like those little things that if there's a different path, then you don't want to lose some of those elements that are so 
key to having a child. Not that people need to buy us stuff, but just, you know, you get stuff when you're pregnant and having a baby shower. Absolutely. And that's something I never even thought of, you know, and I think it's important that you're highlighting these things. And I also don't think it's like, I mean, the synchronicity and that you have a couple next door to you who's adopted three who could be your support system, right? Like there's so much value in community. I just feel like the universe didn't do that by accident. Do you know what I mean? Like there is just something really special about that. And the fact that they did have that welcoming for you and the, you know, the whole neighborhood. I love that because you're right. Those are things that can get missed. And that's not fair, really. Like it's just as special when you adopt and it's just as special that first time you bring her home. And so to have that and to have that memory, like you said, it's not about the stuff. It's that you have that memory of like being really showered with love and excitement and that you got to join with others in your really special moment. So I love that so much. Mm -hmm. So now baby Kylie's home. Talk to us about how old she is, how motherhood is treating you and, and all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate. So I mentioned kind of the the older kids on our street. Well, now we have a new generation. So we have two one and a half year olds on our street. And then I have two friends on the street that just one just gave birth and one's about to give birth in March. And then Kylie. So we are like passing things back and forth. I got like bins of clothes. It's really nice. People bring over toys that we can like swap back and forth. So that community still exists. And now we're like the young generation of our street. So it just feels really, really good. So now we're home. I'm adjusting to being a working mom. At first, it was hard to kind of get that cadence of (laughs) when do I work? And also, I've waited so long to have this baby. I don't want to stop staring at her. (laughs) So there was kind of a a mix of feelings of, oh, I don't want to work, but then I do want to work. And sorting that out took a couple months. I thought I would take maybe three months. And then I'm like, I need four. And then it kind of like crept in. And then at the beginning of the year, when she was about four months, I started working again. So we got consistent childcare, but only 12 hours a week, which to me is such a godsend. I'm like, oh, but those 12 hours go by so fast. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yeah, so it sounds like you're getting your rhythm and things are coming, you know, coming full circle. So for anybody listening to this who could be going through their own sort of infertility journey, or maybe they're looking to adapt, what advice would you give them as somebody who has been through it and now really kind of found yourself on the other side of it, what advice would you give somebody who's really in the thick of it right now? I think really remembering that the process isn't as important as the outcome. So many paths to become a parent, many paths to have another child if if you're dealing with secondary infertility. I think that what I see a lot of people do is really get stuck on, I have to have my own natural children. And, you know, I know someone who's had 18 rounds of IVF. Oh my gosh. And I had a conversation with her and I was like, you know, you, you have to decide how many times you want to do that. Um, But there's other ways. And I think just really realizing that at the end of the day, focus on the goal, (laughs) the outcome that you want versus that process. And obviously, I love my story and I wouldn't change it. But if I could have sped up my acceptance a little bit faster, I would have to move through the different stages of like for one year, I knew that we needed to hire an egg donor and I would like look at the donor databases, which is such a trip. And it took me a year to make a decision. And I just wish I could have moved through that a little faster. But 
obviously, if you want to take time, then take time. But now, now we're even older, right? Nine years later. And, you know, we're now trying to figure out number two, if we want to go back on the adoption list or not. And just like, oh, we have less energy than we did nine years ago. <laughs> so maybe more financial resources, which is nice, but like just less energy overall. So like being able to move to acceptance and whatever it takes to kind of get there and not focus so much on how it's supposed to look. Like, oh, it wasn't supposed to be this way. I think if you stay in that place, it's really hard. It's really hard to move through that. And that could be with anything, right? Like, oh, it wasn't supposed to look this way. Even if you have kids, you're like, oh, they weren't supposed to be monsters, <laughs> right? It's funny. I was just talking to a parent about this in a coaching session. And I said to her, how can we let go of the idea of what you think it's supposed to be? Because she was really still stuck on that. So, I mean, that theme sort of comes up often as a parent, as your journey to becoming a parent, you know, in life in general, like where are you attaching yourself to a supposed to a should or any of those? And where can we really kind of exercise grace and just look at it honestly and say, now what? Like, now what should I do after acceptance washes over me? Yeah. And one phrase that helps is to say, since this is happening, I will now do this, right? So since this is happening, because this is the train's moving in this direction, whatever direction that is, that can really help with acceptance versus I wish it could be like this. It's like, well, I love that. Since (laughs) this is happening, I'm going to use that. I'm stealing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So Megan, thank you so much for being here. Tell people where they can find you because just so everybody knows, Megan is a phenomenal business coach. She has given me some of the most sound advice as I've been growing my little parenting reframe over here. And she has just a wealth of knowledge. So I want to make sure that people know who you are and how they can find you. Yeah, well, I would love to connect on Instagram at Megan Accardo. And I have my own podcast, which is called Power Your Purpose. It's kind of an overarching look into how we can find more purpose in our life and in our businesses and our work. And um, yeah, I would love to connect. And I also support other podcasters as they're trying to grow their business through podcasting. So I'll be honest in my community, the pod party, which is so fun. And we really support that podcasting platform for people so that they can use it to get clients, to get business, to grow their brands. So if that appeals to you, if you want to launch a podcast, or if you already have a podcast, you can find us in the pod party. I love that. And yes, the pod party is exactly that. It is a party and it is so much fun. And there are questions (laughs) answered. And you know, you just have such a kind way of talking to people and helping people and really you're you're just so patient and calm and you're just a treat. I'm very grateful to have you in my life. And I want to just thank you again for coming on here and sharing your story. I think it's going to help so many people who are listening to it. And I think at the end of the day, we just all want to know that we're not alone. And I think the more people who can share these types of stories, these unique journeys to parenthood, I think the more sort of we will exercise compassion with one another and really, you know, just acceptance of what is, right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation and I do hope that someone can be encouraged by my story. (laughs) So thanks. They absolutely will be. So, okay. Thank you everyone for listening until next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend, it is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 
10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at The Parenting Reframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona. Albiona.